0: So growing up, the first memory that I have regarding music, and I played it over and over again, was um, Nancy Sinatra. These boots are made for walking, just like grabbed onto me. I think I was three years old and I'd (laughs) run around and they they bought me go-go boots. So I'd run around in these go-go boots. And I just thought I was it. I mean, attention was my first addiction. You know, I mean, I was just like, see, look at me. I'm in my go-go boots and I would sing and dance.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lest, Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, but joining me today, we're kind of stepping off the Bruce train, though he will come up, as he always does, but I have someone who I am so excited about talking with. I, I, I tried to count how many times you've reinvented yourself, Deborah, and i I lost count, and I am just in awe with you, Deborah Driggs. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, I've lost count too. Let's let's we don't have to keep track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I just think it's interesting, and and well, go ahead uh, for my audience. Why don't you give us your elevator pitch? Introduce yourself.
0: Hi, I'm Deborah Driggs. I am a former Playboy playmate model and cover girl, and uh, really reinvented myself in the business world got to be in the top 5% in sales in the life insurance industry. And, you know, they're completely polar opposites. And so I think, you know, in the last 10 years, anytime anybody finds out, oh my God, you were in Playboy, you know, it just strikes up this whole conversation of how did you go from doing that to getting into business? And so, you know, I don't know that it's an elevator pitch story, but, you know, it definitely comes up at times throughout my life
1: yeah and what's Um, interesting is uh at least to me and um you know there are there are groups in Facebook where um you look for a guest and you know be a guest and people post like hey I'm I'm looking for guests to join my podcast or I'm looking to join people on your podcast and you had reached out a really wonderful kind of pitch about this and I said well I do a music podcast. Would you be interested? And you went, yes, absolutely.
0: I love music. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. Music is, you know, it's interesting because music is really a huge part of, you know, my life. Because even though I don't, I play piano, but I'm a beginner. So I don't really play an instrument and I don't, you know, I I like to tell you that I sing, but only in the shower.
1: I know that feeling.
0: Yeah, so, but music is a huge part of my life because I grew up as a figure skater. And every morning I skated from four until 7 a.m. before school. And we would listen, We back then it was eight track tapes. And I remember there were two choices in the morning. That's This is all we had. Early morning, 4 a.m. was Wings, Paul McCartney Wings, and Elton John Yellow Brick Road. Well, and those I know yeah. those albums like the back of my hand because every morning during Patch those were the two albums every once in a while we'd play Barry Manilow or Neil Diamond but it was Wings Across America Paul McCartney and and you know so when I hear those songs it takes me right back to the ice
1: You are it it appears you and I are of the same generation because um, I graduated high school in 77. So my AM clock radio was my best friend, you know, listening to, and I also Elton John's greatest hits was the first eight track I bought with my own money, (laughs) you know? And so uh, it is amazing. Um, And you've led me perfect. I always like to start at the beginning. So where did you grow up? Uh, And, Besides Elton John and Wings, what other music was at the house? What what did your parents listen to?
0: So I was born in 63. Okay. And I was born in Oakland, California on the Naval Base. My dad was in the Marine Corps, but I I think I was born in the Naval Base Hospital near Treasure Island there in Oakland. But we moved right away to Torrance, California. So I grew up in the South Bay area of Southern California, California. And I'm a Southern California girl, really. I, I, that's where I grew up. I n- grew up Torrance, different little areas, but mainly in Torrance. Went to a private school in Redondo Beach. And then I went to high school in a city called Hawthorne. And the
1: Beach Boys. Brian Wilson. Boys. Yes.
0: That's it. Of course. Yes. So growing up, the first memory that I have regarding music, and I played it over and over again was um nancy sinatra these boots are made for walking just like grabbed onto me i think i was three years old and i'd (laughs) run around and they and my they bought me go-go boots so i'd run around in these go-go boots and i just thought i was it i mean attention was my first addiction you know i mean i was just like see look at me i'm in my go-go boots and i would sing and dance and um And then I loved Disney growing up, you know, so all the music from all the Disney films, you know, as a kid, I would play, you know, those songs over and over. And back then, so in the 70s, you might remember this, you could buy these things when you were a kid, they look like TVs, but you'd put in these plastic, like record type things and it would play a movie with music.
1: Right, right.
0: And it was like so cool, you know, and that, that was a huge thing to me as a kid. I could just, I would play them over and over Lady and the Tramp and, and they would, and the word, it would be like a storybook with music. It was amazing. And so I remember that and, and then I was really into the Partridge family.
1: Well, who doesn't? I think I
0: love you. So what (laughs) am I so afraid of? You know, I mean, I i love david cassidy
1: oh who yes i did too and and i um it you know it was so cool uh to see that i remember staring at that show and and loving it uh and i i can only imagine did you i, I as you're going over in teenage years so you you're, you're expanding to more pop music i assume right
0: yeah so you know during my ice skating i Um, you know, we've listened to those same eight eight tracks, and then yeah, you know, I was exposed to classical music because you know I, I competed, and so you know, we put classical music together for me to skate to. So I was really introduced to classical music, which was super beautiful. So I have an ear for that, and I listen to it to this day. I love classics and I love soundtracks, and I like my favorite soundtrack is um. John Barry's Out of Africa. Like, I can listen to that over and over again. And I love that kind of music. But then when I stopped skating and I got into high school, and wait, let me back up a little bit. So in the 70s, disco was huge.
1: Yes, it was. And
0: I was skating. And I remember my mom and her brother started going disco dancing, and they played the records at home. And so I had an ear for disco music, I loved it, and you know BGs were huge. And then when I got to high school, I stopped skating right before I started high school. And I think the first album that I played over and over again, my freshman year, was "Super Tramp.":
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a great album.
0: Breakfast for America or yeah, something. Exactly, what am yeah, exactly. Is that it? I mean, yes, I mean, it is. Yes. It's
1: perfect. Yes. Oh,
0: my God. I vaguely remember that. And then the I got super into The Pretenders. That Mystery Achievement. I must have played that 100,000 times. Pat Benatar, Blondie. Yes. I loved all the women, you know. I was like, you yes. know, these women were just rocking it.
1: it I have to ask, though, why did what led you to want to start skating and then why did you quit?
0: So I went when I was in I think I was in first grade. I got invited to a birthday party at Harbor City Ice Skating Rink in Torrance in Harbor City, you know, near Torrance. And I went to this birthday party and I put on the skates, got on the ice and it was like, that's where I belonged. Wow. It just just I loved it from the minute. I loved the smell of the ice skating rink. I loved walking in my skates. Like I was like where have you been all my life? It was that kind of a moment like I just loved everything about the ice skating rink. And it's funny cuz I've gone back years later to some of the skating rinks that I skated at and when I was little they seemed so much bigger. Sure. And they were so little I was like Yes. It's so crazy. But anyway, so I took group lessons. I started in the group and went right through it, like immediately. And when you finish the the last group, they, they offer that you should get a coach and take less private lessons. And I knew exactly the coach I wanted. And I, and I begged to take lessons every day. And I ended up taking lessons twice a week. And my mom knew that I loved it so much. She's like, okay. And then she signed me up for patch back when I skated, you had to do figures. Okay. And so she signed me up for that. And we, that's why we started going at four in the morning. Cause the only time you could really get patch, uh, patch on the ice was early morning before school. Sure. Cause then they had public session after school. So, and then the reason that I stopped skating is my parents got divorced when I was 14 And my mother, her whole check, you know, all the money that she made went towards my skating. And so when they got divorced, now she had to support herself. Sure. There was, I didn't have a lot of money in my family growing up. Right. And so when that was going to be the case that they were going to get divorced, it just, it just faded out. It was Mm -hmm. really sad for me because it was like going through two Really big grieving. I grieved my parents' divorce, and then I grieved I stopped, you know, stopping uh, skating. Sure. because you know, I really the, my skating world really became my family. And so it was really sad, you know, to not see my coaches, to not see these people that really taught me how to grow up. And you know, a lot of my life lessons came from ice skating, and so it was really sad. And so, yeah, so, and, and for a long time, I wouldn't put skates on, you know, I was really sad about it and rebellious about it, but it's funny. Cause I, I, I still skate today. I'll go yeah. once in a while and, you know, I can't do jumps or anything now, but, yeah. but I skate around and,
1: you know. And you know. I I know from one of the things that I, I, I think has to be, interesting from you is your perspective now. And it sounds like you're a really good kid and we're supportive of your mom's decision. But you now know from this angle, knowing how much that must have hurt your mother that she because, you know, as as parents, we want to do anything we can for our kids.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's brutal when you can't, you know. And I, I really felt that from my mom, I felt that she was just in a really, she really didn't know what to do right and she was very young when she had me you know she was 19 and you know at 19 you just don't have these tools and exactly she's kind of faking it till you make it type thing and it took me a lot of years to really understand that you know I mean Mm -hmm. there you know obviously there was a lot of resentment on both parts you know this is all we did together yes you know both my mother and I this is all we did you know is this was my skating was a way for us to bond and when we took that away, it was almost like.
1: Well, and it's almost I, I can only imagine, um, you know, if in a lot of ways, you know, you you lost your community. Not, yes. you know, not just the coaches, but your fellow, you know, the people, the other people you were skating with, the other people you practice with, you know, the the whole community of that rink and that whole culture of going to meets and competing and doing all that. And all of a sudden, you know, you're gone and um, your mom is trying to figure out what to do as a single mom and to go through. So I can bet that was pretty traumatic.
0: Oh, yeah. Super traumatic is as- you know, there's certain things in my childhood that, you know, for a long time, when I would think about it, I would just bring up like those sad, but then, you know, when you change, start to get smart and you start to realize that I can change the story. Yes. And the story is I, how many kids can say they got up at 4.00 AM and got on the ice and competed as an ice skater and, you know, not a lot. So I feel very grateful for those years. And, and also it, it, It really saved my life because the lessons that I learned about falling and getting back up, you know, really came to play later on in my life. And I didn't even know it, you know, I didn't even know because I was like, where am I getting this strength from? Oh, yeah, I used to fall down all the time.
1: Well, and you know, do you feel that um, and and we're going to get to your, your time when you were a playmate and a model, but do you feel that? that early love of performing has helped you like in your sales career and as your business career because early in your bones right you were you learned how to um not be afraid of crowds not to be afraid of, of failure you know trying to do something and if you don't at you just said the well literally falling down and getting up not just figuratively but you know literally do you think yeah. that's fed a lot of your tr- drive and success
0: absolutely a lot i when i really look back you know and i get a real good clear perspective of the things that really led me along the way i mean i had to hustle from a very early age i was thinking about this somebody asked me what was your first job? Somebody asked mm-hmm. me this. And I thought I knew, you know, yeah. I was like, Oh, I used to put, I, I, this is a true story. I, um, before I could get a paycheck. Cause you had, you know, the minimum wage, I, I was too young to get a job, a paycheck. Right. So I worked my freshman year summer at Inglewood cemetery because one of the moms worked in the flower shop. So she said her daughter and I could work there in the summer and what we did was we cut the stems off flowers and prepared them so they could make the flower arrangements. And then we went out on the golf cart or whatever. It wasn't really yeah. a golf cart, but that kind of a vehicle. Yeah. And we put the flowers on the cemeteries. And okay. I, was four, I was 14, maybe 15. My freshman year summer. So I was 15. I just turned 15. Mm-hmm. And I remember doing that as my first job. But then I thought about it. I was like, wait, that was not my first job. My first job? I was a little entrepreneur. I lived on a street called Yukon in Torrance between Artesia and Redondo Beach Boulevard. Okay. And this neighborhood was very Asian. A lot of, lot of Asian. It was a, a very Asian neighborhood. And a lot of the kids did not speak English. And I was going to the private Catholic school in Redondo Beach. And so I'd walk home from school and all these parents would see me walking home from school in my uniform and they thought, well, she looks really smart and, and I was nice and approachable. And they asked me if I would tutor their kids. And I started this little business in my neighborhood where I taught all these kids that were coming over. I had families from China, families from Korea um a, a couple of kids from Japan, you know all over yeah. and i was and i was teaching and i must have been in fifth grade so however oh, old, funny i was like in fourth and fifth grade and that was my first job and i had a little business because i had i was always like i had a tutoring business
1: and yeah I was always, you did have a tutoring business
0: i did yeah So i was like i was a little entrepreneur at nine ten years old and i'm and then <laughs> you know i liked having my own money sure I like that feeling of, and but wait, but you know, here's what happened. So the, all of a sudden I get this, this feeling of like, oh my God, I have money and I'm, I, I don't know, I'm 12 years old or whatever, 10 or 12. And all of a sudden I'm ditching school to go to the store to buy candy because I have freedom. I have sure. this money. So now I start doing bad things with it. So then course my mom kind of nipped that in the bud she's like you can't work if you're gonna ditch school exactly but i thought well all of a sudden i felt like i had this power i was too young to have that much power and it was just interesting but i i you know that was i had forgotten all about that and i was like wait a minute that was my first job
1: did did your Competing on the the rink did you did that lead to um, and you know pageants or doing other things that led you to your modeling career or was it just totally unrelated?
0: No, totally unrelated. As a matter okay. of fact, before I started skating, my mom had put me in baby pageants and right. beauty pageants as a child, and she'd try to take me on commercial auditions and stuff. I was kind of cute as a little baby, you know, so she, she's hustling me. She was started hustling me right off the bat, but you know, my mom was super young Mm -hmm. and so she just thought I'll put her in a baby contest. Yeah. And I did really well, you know, for a while with her, you know, doing that, but I stopped all that when I started skating. Okay. And then it wasn't until I became a professional cheerleader. Okay. In 1983 for the LA express. Okay. And during that time, I had met some girls that had gone to Japan to dance and they said it was a great gig, easy money and like really easy job. You, you dance at these two clubs that were back to back and you did three shows at each club. So you worked every night, you slept during the day and you did these shows and they told me how much money it was. And I said, there's no way.
1: Yeah, that just doesn't make sense, right?
0: It just didn't make sense to me. But Japan loved bringing over dancers. And in the early 80s, break dancing was really popular. And, you know, we were doing all that kind of dancing, you know, Mm -hmm. for cheerleading and and the professional cheerleading stuff. And so I was like, oh, so I thought I'll do it. So two of the girls and I went to Japan to dance and our contract was for three months. But while I was in Japan, I had... Uh, an agent approached me and say, I have a commercial that I think, you know, this is all I'm broken down. I think I'll, you could do a commercial yeah. and I'm thinking, okay, you know, and so I ended up doing this commercial. I was in a poodle skirt, like fifties poodle skirt, and they had me on the set and all I was doing was dancing and smiling and, right, you know, and, and I made really good money doing that. And I thought, really? So, when I came back from I ended up staying and modeling in Japan. And when I came back, I told everybody, I think I'm gonna model. And they were like, You're five, six, like models are five ten, five twelve, like what? Yeah. Five, you know, six foot, like, and they're really thin and they do fashion. And I'm like, no, I did this modeling in Japan. I think I can do modeling. I think I can do catalog work. And I didn't think I was gonna end up in Rome on the runway, you know. I right. I knew I knew my niche. And so uh, what I first did was I came back and I went and studied at Tepper Gallegos, this commercial uh, casting workshop. And I found it, um, I, I can't even really remember how I found it, but I think it was through one of those entertainment like okay. drama, drama log or something like that. Sure. I, I picked it up and I found this commercial workshop and I did it, it was for six weeks. And at the end of six weeks, they have agents come from all over LA and they watch you do a commercial and then they, if you're good, they'll, they'll ask if they can sign you or meet with you. And so three of the agents that night asked if they could meet with me. One of them wanted to sign me on the spot. And I ended up signing with the one who wanted to sign me on the spot because I said, well, if this person wants me now, they see something. I'm going to believe in me. I'm going to, that's good. So I signed in the name of that agency was Pacific artists and, I they immediately I was leaving on a plane to go to New Mexico to shoot a car commercial for Chrysler and I just ended up I ended up doing really well and then from that I started building a portfolio and I ended up getting a print agent Mary Webb Davis was my first agency and then another agent called Style in Orange County and you know people said I wasn't gonna model and I ended up booking catalog work and swimsuit work and and, you know, there's work available yeah, to I, girls that are five, six. So,
1: you know, I, I, I love the story, the idea that you you, you knew that you wanted to try and, and, and not letting people tell you, no, no, no. Well, you don't fit the mold, right? It's like, well, no, I, I can make my own mode and we'll see. And so yeah. that's pretty amazing uh, that and I know you must have been just, OK, that's kind of cool this happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was. It was really cool and it gave me momentum. And any time in life when you say you're going to do something, that's the beginning and then just showing up. I just kept showing up. And I was I was relentless too. You know, I would I would do my own submissions. I didn't just rely on my agency to do what was in my best interest. I would sit for hours and go through Cause back then you could get casting notices in different um, sure. trades and I'd go through and send my headshot everywhere. I, I mean, I'd hand deliver sometimes to people just to see if I'd run into somebody. And they were like, Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. you know, and I'm like, and I just be like, Hey, but if they, you know, I'll even do extra work, you know? And they're right. like, okay, thank you. And so I was, I was, creating momentum. Also, I wasn't just waiting for the phone to ring, you know, with an audition here and there. I was sitting in between trying to get any, I would do car shows. Mm-hmm. You know, I was those girls in the glitter dress with a microphone yeah. describing the new Chevy, whatever, you know, right. like, I would, I did car shows. I did everything, you well, know, to make a dollar.
1: You know, one of the things, Deborah, that I, I love you're telling us, because I have a couple of friends who are creative and uh, they are all, they are entrepreneurs. Just as much as they are artistic. In other words, yeah. you know, uh, they go out and figure out how can I sell my work? How can I sell? What's a new angle I can do? What's a creative idea that I can self-publish my own, you know, comic book or my own art? What I can do to drive business? And it sounds like you were you had that drive very beginning that you know you wanted to do this. Um, oh yeah. What's the journey? to get in playboy
0: so so i had an agent and yeah. um in 1989 so i'd been living in la for a couple of years now in you know i was commuting my mom lived in dana point i had been mm-hmm. com- commuting for a long time and i had been living in la now for a couple of years with two other starving actresses so to speak yeah. and um my agent called me out of the blue you know and she's you know, well, this audition came out of the blue. And she yeah. basically said that Playboy was coming out with a magazine called The Lingerie Book and that they saw a photo of me and they thought I would be really great for the cover. And I thought, well, is there any nudity involved? You know, and she's like, I don't think so. And, but this is when the famous Playboy building was on sunset. And okay. so I took my portfolio and I went over for an audition And that afternoon they called me and said, we want to test you for playboy. And I couldn't believe it. You know, I was like me, are you sure? I think you got the wrong girl. Cause I was a little bit difficult at the audition because they wanted me to take everything off and put a robe. And, and I was like, no, I'm not here for that. I'm here for the lingerie book. And they're like, but everything we do involves nudity and we need to see your body. Well, back then because I'm aging myself a little bit nowadays, they don't care. But back then, they're looking for scars, tattoos, piercings, right. birthmarks. They're looking at your skin. They really were. And so right. I said, "No, I'm not here for that." And so it's difficult. And I left. And then when they said they wanted to test me for Playboy, I was like, "That can't be right." Yeah. I mean, I'm like, I'm not the Playboy type. And they. My, and then I called my agent. She's like, "Yeah, it's true. They want to." They want to test you to be a centerfold, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's crazy!" Okay. And and you have to remember too, in 1989, Playboy was the number one magazine in the world. Yes. So I just remember thinking, well, you know, a lot of celebrities that I was I looked up to at the time were doing pictorials in the magazine, and and it, it you know, it was just a famous famous gig, and so sure. I thought, okay. So I went and did the first test and they, they liked it. And they said, we're shooting you for a playboy for a centerfold because first they test and then they decide if they're going to put the time and effort into you because it takes, it takes close to two months to shoot the whole thing. Yeah. So once I tested, they, they liked what they saw. And next thing I knew I was doing a full on centerfold photo shoot layout. And it was in, it was like, I would show up on some days just like, I'm at the famous Playboy building on Sunset shooting to be a centerfold. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like if somebody would have told me five years prior, in five years, you're going to be a centerfold on Playboy. I would have said, there's no way. You know, I just like I couldn't believe it. Even to this day, it still seems yeah. like a dream
1: you know one of the things I'd sent you before is you know what's the question you're tired of answering about your time as a playmate
0: that's a good question I don't know that I'm I there is one that I'm there isn't one okay I mean I mean I get the the general what was it like to pose for playboy I get that and I get what's half like yes yes you know, everybody always wants to know or the or the rumors true or the parties as wild as they ever what everybody thinks they are, yeah. you know, so I get that. Here's a funny story. So, please. so I am married. My all my kids are maybe three. Five and six. OK, so I have, my kids are young and and their friends, parents. And my ex-husband and I are in a limo going to see the Pussycat Dolls at the uh, Roxy Theater. And we're in the limo. And the dad of the other, you know, our friend, the dad, he says to me, okay, I can't take it any longer. I have to ask you, what was it like posing for Playboy? Yeah. So the whole ride to the Roxy Theater, I'm talking about Playboy. I'm talking about half. And they're all just, him and his wife are just like, Yeah. Like, because they can't believe, like, I'm a mom at the preschool. Right. And they're like, wait, what? They're like trying to grasp this. Here's the best part we get out of the limo, and who's standing there with his four girlfriends waiting to go into the rainbow room Mm -hmm. is Uh Half. And he says, Deborah. And I go, Half. And we hug. And now my friends are like, you're like you can't yes. write this because the whole car ride all i'm doing is talking about Hef and the playboy mansion and my experience and next thing you know we get out of the car and there's Hef with his four blondes they're getting ready to go into the rainbow room and we're going to the roxy to see the pussycat dolls and you can't write this
2: because
0: no. he's like Deborah. i'm like Hef, and that's, i give him a big hug and oh my god
1: that's that's wonderful he remembered you um, yeah. yeah I, it, it, it sounds like he had a really good memory. And
0: he knew all the girls.
1: Wow. that's And
0: there's a reason for that, because he chose every single one. Wow. Not one, not one gatefold got by him. He looked at everything and he decided what month and he knew every detail. So there's a reason why he, he would remember us. That... He knew us. Yeah. yeah.
1: So because I, I was waiting for I I was wondering if you ever, if people come in, especially like with the kids, like, okay, I, I hate to be embarrassing, but like, will you sign my copy? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that's got to have happened a couple of times.
0: Yeah, of course. I've had people re- still to this day reach out on social media and they're like, if I send you my magazine, is there somewhere I can send it? Will you sign it for me? And And now with Donald Trump, being on the cover of my issue, he has yeah. made he has made it a collector's item. So thank you, Mr. President. Um,
1: I did not realize that. No, tell me more about this.
0: Yeah. So Donald Trump is on the cover of my issue that I'm the centerfold in. So I get more fan mail today than I did when I was a centerfold because now it's a collector's item. Everybody wants me to sign it.
1: Oh, if how you go funny. online,
0: yeah, if you go online and you try to buy. March 1990 it's mm-hmm. I think it's tripled in price now
1: wow so
0: anybody that has that issue is reaching out to me will you please sign it you know because it is it's a collector's item so if you've got Donald Trump on the cover and then you've got me signed on the inside it's a pretty oh, yeah, good sure pretty good collector's item yeah
1: um what Is there a couple, that sounds like a great highlight, but during your time, is there other great stories that you just, you kind of go, I can't believe my, you know, I'm a simple California girl from Hearthone, California, and this is happening to me.
0: Yeah, no, I've, you know, I've had, I have so many of those. I mean, I remember I I got cast to be in a commercial and they didn't tell me who I was going to be working with. It was just all I knew is it was for Suntory Whiskey for Japan and I booked a lot of commercials for Japan. My, they okay. really they really liked my look and and um, and the personality. You know, they they for some reason I jived really well with Japan. And so they brought me in for the Suntory whiskey and and I booked it and I got on the set and Mickey Warwick was shooting the commercial with me. And oh, I had I had no idea. So that was a fun surprise, you know yeah. I, this was in the eighties and he was huge
1: oh sure
0: yeah it was huge so that was fun and you know i mean i've i've had many fun dinners and experiences and i've met many people at the mansion you know i mean anybody you name i've met at the mansion yeah every everybody who who's who from george clooney to ben affleck to leonardo to you know directors producers everybody i've met up at the mansion (laughs) you
1: I read your IMDB bio, and, and as I said, I, I was so impressed because you, and, and the word Phoenix came up to me, is that, you know, you reached a point where, you know, you've decided you're no longer in a model, and you're, you know, acting isn't working, so you're going to business, and then, like, you did banking originally, right, and then that, we had the big bank crisis, and you had to reinvent yourself. To talk to me a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, so, so, you know, I, I had my agents all the way up until about 2000. In 2003, I'm going to skip over a lot of stuff, sure. but in 2003, my husband and I decided to move to Park City, Utah, and leave LA and raise our kids in a small town environment. Sure. And it was really one of the, that was a really good decision for our kids, because you know, just being shuffled around in a car in L.A. Yeah. and going to private schools and and just all the stuff that they were hearing and the competitiveness. We just decided that wasn't going to be for us. And so we went to Park City. I ended up hosting the Mountain Morning Show for Park City TV. And in 2004, we got divorced. And that was a really tough time for us. We There was not a lot of money and there was not a big uh, settlement marriage settlement so i had to i had to go back to work and my first first big gig was real estate and in 2008 when the when the market took a complete crash the first market to go was the market i was working in which was second home luxury yeah you know that was done so i had to reinvent myself and then i got into life insurance and so i think what the hardest thing for me was is to one, reinvent and have people take me seriously in business. And, you know, when I started in real estate, I didn't know anything. I I studied for my test in, I think I got that license in two to three weeks. I I just every day applied myself and I was super worried because there was a lot of math on the test. And so because I applied myself, I ended up passing and and then, you know, when I, I started working for a guy who was the number one realtor at the firm that I chose and, and I told him, I was really on it. I said, I don't even know how to scan. I don't know how to fax. I don't even yeah. know. I've never worked in an office. And he's like, I could teach you all that if you manage my clients. And we found this reciprocity, like I would manage the clients and he would show me how to do all the office interior Behind mm-hmm. the scenes stuff, which I picked up quick, and and he showed me marketing and all sorts of really cool real estate stuff, and and I managed all the clients. And he had twenty two listings when I started with him, and that was a lot to do. Marketing reports every sure. every Monday to our clients, and you know I'd get calls, them yelling, "What's going on?" and and so I learned a lot with him, and I God what a great experience that was. But when the market turned, I had to start all over again. And there was about a year where I, I literally lost everything because I was just making enough money to get by.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: now with no income, I I had nothing left. So I moved in with my mom. So talk about hitting rock bottom, like sure. no money, moving back with my mom who lived in Ocala, Florida. And then my X took the kids because he's remarried now and they have a little bit of a stable environment and he, he was working, I wasn't working. So just all these changes. And then I was just trying to figure out what am I going to do now?
1: So my insurance?
0: I, uh, so what happened was I worked at a different company first. And while I was working for that company, I called the firm that did our insurance. I remembered that I had referred them a lot of business. So Mm -hmm. I called called him up and I said, hey, if I keep referring to business, can I get a referral fee? Because now I know about referral fees. Now I know about things that I didn't know about. I was just doing all this stuff for free. Right. You know, I I think I was being so cool and nice, but I'm like, oh, you can get paid for referrals. And I'm like, oh, from now on, anybody, this is it. Like, and I had referred him, I had referred him really big cases. And so he goes, Deborah, go get your license just like that. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, okay. So his assistant told me what to do. I got my light. I, on the week, I'm working for this company out of New York and on the weekends, I'm studying now to get that license. And I kind of overlapped. I was working both jobs so I could make money. And now I have my kids back living with me full time. And I'm like, and I'm telling my kids, here's the deal. I have to work. You're headed into high school years. I need you guys. We need to be a team. We need to work together because I got to work. And so they understood that this was the deal and they wanted to live with me. So I said, well, then this is what we have to do because I really have to focus and keep us afloat. I don't want to ever be back in that situation in 2008 where we, I lost everything. So this time around, I just was, I put the foot to the f- pedal to the metal foot to the floor, whatever you want to say. And I was like on speed, go, go, go. And I did not put my foot down, the phone down, I should say, I did not put my phone down every day until I had at least one new client. And that's how relentless I was. And in 2011, 12 and 13, I was the number one agent at three different carriers. And yeah, so
1: I, I just that is, I've Early in my career, I spent about a year working um, for insurance, working um, as a life insurance agent, and I just was not good at it. Um, and and it is it is a little bit. I, I made the joke that um, when you're a podcast host that does a show of interviews, um, just like an insurance agent, you're always prospecting. I am always, always looking for guests. I mean, I mean, it is amazing um and just just this weekend um a um a writer was promoting her new book and she tweeted that hearing Bruce Springsteen's Jungle Land kind of woke her up and changed how she wrote her novel she was she was making it kind of autobiographical she changed it and it freed her up and i immediately hey i do a bruce springsteen podcast anyway you want to join me you know i reach out and so I can imagine you aren't exaggerating about not putting that phone down.
0: No, I did not put that phone down until I had a new client every day. Like I was I was relentless. It got to the point where things were happening so fast that I couldn't even keep up with my own momentum. And, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. That's a good thing. It problem is a good thing, have. yes. Yeah. yeah. So I have a great little Bruce Brainsting piece of trivia for please, you please please you're gonna like this okay so in 1989 90 and 91 I was in a two-year Meisner acting class and guess who was in my acting class
1: I'm going to guess a certain ex-wife of Bruce Springsteen oh how funny
0: yeah Julianne Phillips was yeah. in my in my in my acting class
1: oh wow yeah yep that that and my and by
0: the way and my ex-husband yeah might just be in the top 20 top Bruce Springsteen fans
1: oh really
0: huge fan oh so I really got turned on to Bruce Springsteen through my ex-husband so I wasn't I wasn't really like
1: right um so when he's a fan what about what kind of woke that up to your learning about Bruce's music and what about it what about did speak to you when, you know, not just because of the connection with him, but did you find Bruce's voice yourself and what you found his music?
0: Well, I just think he's so he, I mean, he's just, when I think of Bruce, I think of the flag, you know, yes. he's just like Mr. America. He's just like, this is like, um, like, how would I say this? I love America. You know what I mean? You just want to say, I love America. And that's what his music reminds me of. And it's just all about loving America, like born in the USA. Hello. Absolutely.
1: Did, is there any, uh, did you get to go during your time being a playmate, um, any good concerts or any musical stories you mentioned meeting a few actors, but did you get to meet some musicians and, have some experiences with that
0: oh yeah absolutely um I've I've been backstage at um now I'm going to space on his name from Led Zeppelin Robert Plant okay I was backstage with Robert Plant and Billy Idol and um I couldn't even tell you like literally I'm I music is not really like wasn't really my thing but I think my first concert you're gonna laugh when I tell you what my first concert was because I was in love with him Like, in love, was Rick Springfield. Sure. So that was my first concert. And then my second was, I think I went to the Pretenders. Yeah. And my, now my first concert, sorry, my first concert was Donna Summer at the Greek Theater. Yes. And I was a sophomore in high school. And my second concert was Rick Springfield and then the Pretenders.
1: Is there a moment um that the teenager you inside went, I can't believe this is happening. Like you've talked already, like I'm in Japan, I'm dancing, I'm on I'm 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 auditioning for you know Playboy. Um, but is there something where you go this is surreal. I cannot believe one that stands out more of everything else, Deborah.
0: Well when I was in Japan the first time, I, yeah. I was 20 years old. I had my 21st birthday in Osaka, Japan. And one night after I told you, we performed three shows, so about six shows a night. And there's a street in Osaka, it's called Shinsaibashi. And back in the 80s, there was a famous club on Shinsaibashi called Maggie's. And we're walking on Shinsaibashi. And and the girl I'm with, we're getting ready to get a taxi and go home because we've been to all the spots you know after yeah. we got done performing we would go hit all our favorite spots and we're walking we see like it looked like americans walking towards us like six or seven guys and we're like wait a minute there's americans and as they got closer we realized it was rod stewart and he's like ladies can you tell me tell me where maggie's is and my girlfriend and i look at each other we're like We'll take you there. (laughs) And so we turn back around and we go back to Maggie's. We take because he wants to go to Maggie. Of course, we walk in and they see that we walk in with Rod Stewart and they immediately play Maggie, whatever. Yeah,
1: Maggie May. Yeah, sure. Yeah,
0: they play the song, and and my girlfriend and I are like, This cannot be happening. Oh Oh. my god, like we're with Rod Stewart. This is crazy. And he was he he and his whole crew, they were so nice we mm-hmm. stayed there i think the place closed at like five in the morning we stayed there dancing and we had so much fun and i remember you know i wrote letters back to the u.s i must have written 30 letters the next day to everybody i knew
1: guess who i met? oh, my oh God. i can imagine i can't you know imagine. and i, I
0: mean yeah. literally he kept put his arm around us and he's like you know and i'd just be like what is happening yeah so that was great. And then I got to meet George Ridgely from Wham.
1: Oh, good.
0: Uh, George Michael wasn't there that night, but yeah. uh, the whole band was there. Andrew yeah. Ridgely and because they were there performing and then Madonna was on her tour. Uh, Who's that girl? Who's that right. girl tour? So I met her whole band. She wasn't mm-hmm. out. She didn't she doesn't go out. But, yeah, you know, because we were because we were the dancers, a lot of these bands would come in. Sure. And and party while we were doing our shows. And so we met everybody. It was great.
1: What a great experience. Yeah, I I can only imagine it um, because you're talking about, you know, in the that time when you're going to acting class with Julianne Phillips. This is post marriage with Bruce. So that must have been, you know, um, right. Yeah, he
0: was right after she got divorced. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's that's no yeah. that was th- that uh, he he talks about that in his autobiography of how he was a really bad husband and he was not ready to be together. What
0: what's the song that he sings? Something disguise.
1: Yeah, brilliant disguise. Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I remember that was the big that was the big song during their divorce.
1: Yes. And so, wow, yeah. I bet that's interesting. That's great. All yeah. right, so. What's next for Debra? What do you got going on next? What's your next goal you're going to conquer?
0: Oh, well, I am going to come up with some (laughs) anti-aging something, some sort of scenario that I can keep looking young and keep aging gracefully. I'm really into anti-aging and um, I'm always looking for the next thing to do it in a graceful way because I really don't want to do the surgery route yeah and so I've been really like okay what can I do to keep my youthful look and age gracefully
1: Mm
0: -hmm. so I'm looking at that you know I have been fortunate enough to invest in some startups so you know I'm just knock on wood that one of them hits um yeah I've also been fortunate enough to be able to give back philanthropically to a lot of different, a lot of different endeavors. I adopted a school in Peru. And so I keep in touch, you know, to see how that's working out and Mm -hmm. make sure they have supplies and all of that. And then um, during the pandemic this last year, I decided to write a book. So now I'm just at a place where we've written the book and I'm just trying to decide what to do if I'm going to self-publish, am I going to go through an agent? Do I want to just, yeah. you know, I'm just, so I'm, I'm doing that. And, and I'm still in the insurance world, cranking it out,
1: mm-hmm. you know? So, so yeah. what, what kind of music are you listening to now? What, 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 what music brings you joy and comfort, especially during this past year, which has been so crazy.
0: Well, I have to tell you, I became a huge fan of Taylor Swift. I sure. love her. I love the album that she just won all the awards for, the folk- Folklore. I've been listening to that quite a bit. I think she is super talented. And she and I share a birthday.
1: Oh, very nice. Yeah, we,
0: we have the same birthday. So, yeah, I'm really, I, you know, I didn't like her at first, but I really like this last album that she put out. Um, I actually listen to a lot of soundtrack music, so... Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm watching it, like I've, to this day, I still listen to the mission. Uh Um, I love the soundtrack. I can't think of, uh, I know it's an Italian name. The, the, the person, the album that did the Uh album, amazing album. Um, I love John Barry. I love, um, you know, listening to music like that. I, that's kind of how I start my day is I'll put on one of those albums and do some meditation and kind of drift off into an imaginary world of how I like to see the day going. And, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, you know, my musical tastes have changed. I like, I like rock from the eighties and nineties, yeah. you know, sure. I'm like a one still a white snake girl. I love white snake.
1: Absolutely. You know, So hey i'm excited to read the book i i hope you know however you publish it whether it's self-published or that i think you know you tell great stories so that's going to be exciting and fun to do um is there anything i should have asked you that i didn't
0: no i think we covered it i think we did it i think you did a fabulous job you're
1: very sweet to say that that's very nice all right so then before I let you go, I've got to ask you the Mary question. So,
0: the Mary Jay, question. Okay. Yeah,
1: so, Jay Armstrong is a retired honors English teacher in the Philadelphia area. And he was on the show and he explained to me that every year he would take um, two days of the classroom, his seniors, and they would take the bruce springsteen song thunder road read all through the lyrics talk about the imagery and then at the end of the two days he would ask the question does mary get in the car so deborah that is your question does mary get in the end of does mary get in the car at the end of thunder road
0: absolutely she gets in the car there's no question okay when you, I, well, I forget the last line of the song, but I think he said yes, something to the point of...
1: We're pulling out of here to win. Absolutely. We're
0: pulling out of here to win.
1: Who Absolutely. doesn't get in
0: that car? I want to meet the person who doesn't get in that car. <laughs> so I can know what it. is wrong with you?
1: <laughs> Very great. If someone wants to reach you, how can they?
0: Follow me on Instagram.
1: Okay.
0: My, and, all my journey is going to be on Instagram. I'm going to be posting a link to my website very soon, like in the next couple of weeks. Okay. And on my website is going to be all my past photos and work that I've done, and then all the new stuff that's coming up and some surprise stuff, you know. And it's going to be great because it'll have an address where people can send things to have signed. Oh, good. And all of that. Yeah. So it'll be, I will put that link in my Instagram on my Instagram page.
1: And Deborah Dix. Driggs. 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 Yes. Very nice. All right. Well, you have been a joy. Thank you so much for visiting with me. This was a blast. I hope you remain safe and continued success. Um, Thank
0: you. Everybody stay safe. And thank you so much for listening.
1: Yes. Listeners, you remember to wash your hands. Remember to social distance. Remember to wear a mask. Ignore what the governor of Texas is saying as I sit here in Texas let's all be good to each other because that's the only way we're going to go through this. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Doing a podcast at times can be a one way conversation and I hate that. So please let me know what you like and don't like about the work I'm doing. You can reach the podcast via email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. The show is on Twitter at setlustingbruce. And my personal Twitter is at jessejacksondfw. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only Set and Bruce. Set and Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set and Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission.